Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of The Greatest Machine. This was an awesome episode. We interviewed Robert Kerbeck, corporate spy, former actor. The guy did like a dance tape with OJ Simpson. I mean, just tricking companies to give their most secret information. I mean, such an interesting interview. Learned all about his new book, Ruse. Great episode. Stay tuned. I know you'll enjoy it. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Marshall's name. Boy, do we have a special guest. My man, Robert Kerbeck, is in the house. What's up, Robert? Woo! Glad to be here. <laughs> Glad to have you here. So, uh, Robert is new to the show. And um, for listeners who are new to the show, I want to say this. The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. We're about people who are living their passions, and those are creating greatness in the world. And my man, Robert, here is neither short of passion nor greatness. Uh, man, I will tell you this. So I was telling Robert before the show started, I said, you know, uh, first of all, his pu- his publicist at his uh, at Penguin, his, his uh, public, uh, publisher for his book that we're going to be talking about, they reached out to us and, and sent us a, a really cool one-pager on Robert, his book, his work. And I was telling him before the show, I'm like, look, I get like, I don't know, 100 of these a week. And 99.99% of them barely make it into my inbox. In, in I, don't, I don't even open the emails. Um, but his was just so compelling. And, and listeners of the show that have been here for a while know that, that I have probably said this one or two other times that I was like, oh, I got to have this guy on the show. This seems super interesting. So, um, so yeah, man, it was really exciting. When I read the one pager, I was like, look, I sent my team. I said, hey, I want this guy on the show. Um, and, and so the listeners, you might be like, well, why is that? And, and the reason is this, um, you know, I'm going to give your formal bio, but, but Robert is a A-list corporate spy. 
which <laughs> which is 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 fucking awesome. And and he's written this book called Ruse: Lying the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street. Your former actor, award winning author, and also CEO of your company RK Research, which, as you had said before the show started, a spying firm. So so pumped to have you here, Robert. Welcome to the show. Oh, well, thanks for that great introduction. Yeah, I mean, you know, corporate spy, you know, everybody's like, well, what the heck is that? You know, and uh, people used to ask me that, say, at a dinner party or something. I say, well, if I told you, I'd have to take you out back and shoot you. you know? <laughs> yeah. <that's- laughs> now, for- fortunately, we're not going to be killing anybody today. Well, so you're the second spy we've had on the show. We had a, we actually had a CIA spy. So this is, that, that, that's, that's mm-hmm. uh, more on the governmental side, but um uh, Andrew Bustamante, actually, and anyone that's mm-hmm. interested, listen to that episode. It's a super interesting episode. But but I love the whole idea of spies and and corporate espionage. And and when I saw that, I'm like, I'm former CEO at good sized company, about yeah. thousand employees. And I'm like, did I have any spies in my company? Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, um, you know, here at the the Greatness Machine, as I said earlier, you know, we're all about people living their their passions to create greatness in the world and, and doing so despite the odds. And and the reason for this is, is we're really interested in like, how do people get to where they get to? I mean, like, I doubt when you're 10 years old, you're like, man, I'm gonna be a corporate spy when I grow up, you know, like, like, yeah. that, that, like, even if you knew what it was, you maybe wouldn't have wanted to do it. But take us back, tell us your origin story, would love to, to, to hear like, where, you, where things started for you and how you ended up in this crazy world. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, uh, when we were chatting right before uh, the show, I'm from Philadelphia, uh, fly Eagles fly. And um, my family, the Kerbeck family, is really well known in the automobile business. Um, if you're looking for a deal on a Maserati, tell them I sent you. Um, my great-grandfather uh, is Armenian, came over from Armenia and sold horse carriages before automobiles were invented. He became one of the first automobile dealers in Philadelphia. My grandfather took over that dealership. My father took over that dealership. And I was supposed to take over that dealership. But when I graduated from college, I'd kind of fallen in love with acting I wanted to move to New York to be an actor, but I didn't know anybody that had done that. Um, So when I graduated, I went to work for my father and I just found that the trickery of car sales just didn't feel right to me. So finally, I got the the courage to move to New York. Um, I start acting, but of course, actors need a survival job. And who stumbles into a job as a corporate spy? But that's what happened. Wow. Okay. so so you where'd you go to college, by the way? Uh, University of Pennsylvania. That's right. That's right. I saw that. So, so you went. To, so you went Ivy League school, UPenn. You end up like not wanting to do the family biz, and you stumble into acting, passion for acting. But and sorry, passion for acting. Stumble into cor- the corporate spy gig. So, what does that look like? First of all, how old are you? Like, were you like twenty two? Uh, was this your yeah, side hu- side exactly. hustle essentially? Yeah. 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 Twenty two, so, twenty three. And so, when you were in New York, what type of acting were you doing? Were you doing like all sorts of stuff? Yeah, so I did uh, all of these great plays. You know, uh, New, York, New, York, New York is obviously known for the theater. Um, I, you know, did plays uh, starring opposite James Gandolfini. I did plays starring opposite Callista Flockhart, who many know is married to Harrison Ford. Um, I got rave reviews in the New Yorker and the New York Times. You know, I was a working actor. I'm, I'm a lifetime member of the actor studio, um, but of course, the theater doesn't pay a whole lot of money. And so I needed the the side gig. And, you know, I stumbled into this spying job. A buddy of mine had this job. He mentioned it briefly one day and then he shut up right away because he realized he wasn't supposed to talk about it. And I said, whoa, 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 dude, what's this job? I'm broke. Help me out. You know, and uh, so he did. He got me an interview with this woman who lived on the Upper East Side. And your listeners know that's kind of the old money area of New York. And 
So I go to this Upper East Side, you know, penthouse apartment. I'm living in Hell's Kitchen in a cave with two other guys. And this (laughs) woman opens the door. She's got a martini and a cigarette. And she ushers me into the nicest apartment I've ever been in. Uh, Everything was white. Everything was pristine. So I knew whatever this woman was doing, it was lucrative. Um, And we have this very strange job interview. She never asks me anything about my skills, doesn't ask to see a resume, sends me on my way. Pretty sure I blew the job. I didn't get it. And my buddy calls up and he says, you got the job, but don't get too excited because she hires everyone because no one has the skills to do this job. Mm. And that was when I started to go like, well, wait a second, what the heck is this thing? And then the next day I went out to Brooklyn and I began training. I show up at this woman's place. She opens the door. She's an attractive woman with an Irish accent. She says, come on in, you'll work in my bedroom. And up until that moment, I still had no idea what I was in for, uh, but I was single. So I was cool. Yeah. Um, you know, eh. so I go in it, she's got a futon on the floor and a desk. Uh, and I was like 50, 50, but she has me sit down at the desk and she begins to explain that we use our acting skills, our acting training, our ability to do accents, voices, create characters to call major corporations and get people to tell us secrets and private information that they should never in a million years tell us. So what, what was her, what was her deal? I mean, was she, she had clients essentially that hired her to go do this. Is that, and she was basically training these corporate spies to do the work. I mean, who were her clients and you don't have to name names. I don't know if you do in yeah. your book or not, but, but who are the, who are her clients? The clients are the largest corporations not even in America, in the world. I mean, you name the company and they are hiring spies. Now, of course, these are major companies. Many of them are publicly traded companies, um, though I'm here to tell you that small and and medium-sized businesses hire spies all the time too. Um, But most times these corporations, for obvious reasons, are hiring the spies through intermediaries because they want to have some plausible deniability that if they get busted... Um, they can go, oh, well, you know, we had no idea that Robert was doing this. We had no idea that this company was doing this unethical, you know, uh, potentially illegal, uh, you know, uh, information stealing. You know, well, you know, we had no idea. Now, I'm here to tell you on your program that I have personally presented my extracted data, a.k.a. stolen data, to individuals that today are one step from being the CEOs of some of the largest companies in the world. These are people that are on CNBC talking about ethics and corporate culture, and yet they are more than happy to take my stolen information because that's how they maintain their position in the rankings, in the revenue, in the stock price. So so when you, so how old are you? Again, you were like 22 years old when you were in this, starting the show? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're 22 years old. It's it, how many spies were there? It was you, your friend. Was it a bunch of people, or was it just a couple of you guys? Uh, she had four people at that time. There were four spies, and so you, and, you know, again, I don't expect you to name names unless you want to. But like, what would be a typical like? What was your first gig you did? Because I'm sure. Uh, and let me. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up. Let me just tell you. So I had an experience that was similar to your experience, but the, it was when I was 19 years old. And I went to a guy's a condo in Southern California for a job interview, which I thought was weird because I roll up and it's a residential neighborhood, right? And the guy's like sleeping on the couch and the girl interviews me, at the, at his assistant assistant interviews <laughs> me at the ki- kitchen table, right? 
And she, and she said, well, come back tomorrow if you want to know more about the job. I thought it was like a delivery job. And I show up the next day and there's like five guys sitting on the couch. And it turns out like they were selling speakers out of the side of a van and off wow. the freeway. So yeah. I had a, like, I showed up the first day and, and, and their expectation was that I was going to quit, but I actually didn't. I did it for about two months. I made some money, but for you, you're like, see this crazy job. Like, like you're 22 years old. Obviously you got to make some dough, but were you like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Like, what were you thinking about then? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I was broke um, and I needed money. And, you know, a lot of the information we were getting, um, you know, remember, this is the era before LinkedIn, right? So there was no way for companies to know who was at a firm and more importantly, who the rock stars were at a firm, right? Mm. And, And by the way, that's true today, too. Even today with LinkedIn, and by the way, LinkedIn only has maybe 60, 70% of the executives listed on there because if you're killing it at a firm, you don't yeah. care about being on LinkedIn, you know? So, so most, you know, it's still a, a good third of executives aren't on LinkedIn. And usually those are the, the rock stars. Those are the top people. And that's who people want to poach. They want to get those people and the secrets that those people hold, you know, hold to come over to their firm. And, and, you know, I'm here to tell you that stealing two or three top people from a firm can take your firm from, you know, number seven in the rankings to number two in the rankings, because that's how valuable talent is. Um, But the first assignment that I did was, believe it or not, we were researching the defense industry. You know, this is kind of the tail end of the Reagan boom years where Ronald Reagan put all this money into, um, you know, weapons and Star Wars and all of that stuff. And so we were literally calling major defense companies finding out who the designers were for the AWACS program and the Star Wars program and, you know, top secret information. And it's crazy that we were doing this for $8 an hour because if we'd been doing that on behalf of the Chinese or Russian government, we could have gone to jail for the rest of our lives. But instead, we were doing it for the rivals of the companies we were calling because that's how competitive you know, corporations are, whether it's the defense industry, whether it's Wall Street, whether it's technology, whether it's pharmaceuticals, CEOs and COOs of these companies want to know what their competitors are up to. They want the playbook on their rivals. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. Canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. So, so when you, you call, so the, you're working with the defense energy or the defense industry and you're trying to find out who the designers of these programs are essentially so that and, I, and I'll make up names. McDowell Douglas can go and recruit away from Boeing. I, I know those are probably the wrong companies, but they want to recruit the head of design away from their biggest competitor. And your your job is to go find out who's who the who is. I guess is that am I thinking Correct. that properly? Correct. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, you think about like the legendary CEO of Apple, Steve Jobs. I mean, he was notorious for privacy and adamant about privacy. So imagine. I mean, he wouldn't even list the Apple designers in the directory. So imagine if we were able to find out, for example, the name of the designer of the iPad in the early days of the iPad and, and, and XYZ company was able to poach that individual. How much money would that have been worth? Obviously, billions of dollars. Right. And so that's the kind of information many times these corporations were looking for. They wanted to steal the top people and get them to come over and bring their secrets about what they were working with, working on at the other firm to the new firm. So, so, and and I get that. So, so uh, it's funny. I didn't realize that that was considered, I guess elements of it are corporate espionage, like people disclosing confidential information. Uh, I mentioned um, earlier that I was CEO. I I exited my company. I was CEO of a company about a thousand employees and I had a business development team who was our recruiting team. And I was telling someone this like two days ago, I said, I always knew what was happening in the industry a month before it happened because my, my, my recruiting team was talking to so many people and, and, and just hearing all, you know, when you're on the phone with every single competitor talking to their salespeople and their ops people and their administrative people and their executives, you know, they disclose stuff to you without even realizing they're disclosing stuff. So is that, is that in of itself just the corporate espionage or is there more to it than just that? Well, there was more to it than just that, you know, I mean, and look, you know, kudos to you and your business development team. I always tell people and, you know, if you're really good, you're interviewing the top people at your rivals all the time, even if you don't have a job for them. Right. And by the way, uh, uh, job seekers out there, be careful. Not every not every job interview you get is a legit job interview. 
It is very common practice for executive recruiting firms, uh, whether they're external or internal, to use these interviews as sort of a ruse to get information about what their competitors are up to. So, you know, if you get that job interview, be careful what you reveal in there because it, they may not even really be interested in you. They just want the information that you have. Um, but but our, our spying would always begin with building the organizational chart. Then we would learn the internal metrics that the firm had for ranking their employees because every firm ranks their employees, whether it's a sales desk, we would find out the, you know, who the top sales guys were with the actual numbers, right? Because anybody can come into an interview and go, oh, yeah, I'm number two on the team. No, I would prove we would have the rankings. If they were traders, Wall Street trading desk, we would have the rankings. If they were bankers, we would have the size of their book of business, you know, um, we would have, or we'd have the internal metric. We would know what they were getting paid, right? Um, which is another way you, you can easily tell how firms value employees, right? So we would get all of this information, but then we would build on top of that because now once you have that information, you can find all these different people to talk to. You know so much about the firm. You could find out, forget about future plans a month out. We would be finding out what they were thinking of a year out, five years out, 10 mm. years out, right? What products were in the pipeline? How far along the products were? You know, when were they going to come to market? What were they going to, what was the pricing for those products going to be, right? So any type of information that a competitor could use to their advantage to basically, you know, to get a competitive head start. So how, so, I mean, the first question that comes to mind for me is like, how were they willing to give you that information? I, I got to assume these are people that are smart enough to realize that they're disclosing confidential information. So probably some of it slipped. I could I could understand that, but was there like a system or or what, did you guys have a, a, like a process to try to extract information? Tell me about that. Yeah, so you know we were you know in you know in the book I call it rusing, right? We were using social engineering to trick people. We were you know deceiving people by creating these characters or even in many cases, impersonating real people within the firm. You know, we were actors, we could mimic people's voices. You know, I could hear somebody on CNBC, then I could imitate them, right? And so we would call people and they would hear, you know, uh, you know, uh, this is Gerhardt calling from the office in Frankfurt, Germany. We have the European Union regulators here. We need some information from the States, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they would look and they'd look me up and they'd go, oh, yeah, there is a Gerhard Mannheim who runs European compliance. And they would many times know this person might even have spoken to them once. Right. But they didn't know them well enough. And of course, I would have listened to Gerhard's voicemail or seen him on you know, TV. So my accent would have been pretty close. And so they would go, oh, hey, Gerhard, buddy. Well, well this is a strange call. What's going on? What do you need? And, and I would tell them what I would need. And they might even go. Well, what do you need this information from the states over there? It doesn't really make sense. Get, but they would still give it to me. Why? Because they wanted to be a good corporate teammate. You know, they had Gerhardt, the head of European compliance on the phone. You know, what were the odds that somebody was calling them with a made up German accent? Right. It, it, people wouldn't even think of that. It was it's ludicrous. And that was one of the things about these ruses that we did. The more outlandish the ruse was, in a strange way, the more believable it became. Yeah, there's probably a cognitive dissonance around like, yep. how, why would anyone ever assume this is a private company calling up and, you know, essentially like being fraudulent, right, to get information Correct. from them. So yeah. what was the most elaborate ruse you ever uh, conducted? 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, there were so many of them. I mean, you know, look, back in the day, we used to do this when it's so complicated. So I'll see if I can remember it. But, you know, back in the day, there, there was the fax machine. And right. So many times we would call up and we would always try to get people to read us the information over the phone because we knew that a lot of times people say, well, let me fax it to you. But once we got off the phone, they would kind of get wise or they'd talk to somebody else and they go, wait a second, I'm not sending this fax to this strange number. But we learned that we could get people, we would basically say, hey, I'm some executive in the, you know, these firms have offices all over the world. I'm some executive. I'm in town. I was supposed to be staying at this hotel, um, but now I'm at a different hotel. They were supposed to send the fax to this. Can you fax it over to this hotel the, uh, you know, blah, you know, and it would make sense that you're an executive staying in a hotel. So they were comfortable faxing it to the Ritz Carlton in New York or the Four Seasons in New York. Well, of course, we're not staying at the Four Seasons Hotel in New York. So then I would have to call up the hotel and I'd get the front desk manager and I'd say, oh, my gosh, we got a big screw up. Somebody thought we were going to be at your hotel this week. We're coming in next week. They sent this 12-page document over that details this entire product and everything about this product. Can you fax it to me at this different number now? Oh and so then gosh. they would. Exactly. So now we've got <laughs> the internal document has been faxed to us, but not directly in a way that's traceable. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Um, so one, one question that came to mind for me is, did you guys ever meet with people in person or was this all done like anonymously over the phones and through faxes? Yeah, we did. We did meet with people. And in the beginning, we would go to events, you know, we'd go to the US Open and we'd be in the box with this bank and we'd be talking to the bank executives and they're getting drunk and we're getting information and uh, bars were a great place to get people that were telling secrets. You would know what bar was the bar for Goldman Sachs or what bar was the bar for Morgan Stanley. But what we learned, much to our surprise, was, was that the anonymity of the phone call was actually a far more effective way to get information, right? Um, because, you know, if you're at a bar, it's kind of hard to sit there and write down 20 pages of information. Yet on a phone call, you could get someone, believe it or not, to read you document after document, information, you know, names, reporting structures, salaries, you know, rankings, all of this stuff. You could get someone to spend an hour with you on the phone doing that, which you couldn't do in person. And so the phone call, and I'm here to tell you, the social engineering phone call is alive and well, even today. You can get so much information. Now you can still, you can get a lot now through phishing, email texts, different ways. Um, but the phone call is still a, a very, very effective way that spies still utilize today. And, and so, and so, yeah, that, that I guess t two things from this number one, um, super interesting, but what, um, I guess when you start to think back to, well, first and foremost, what is a like, like, what does a client pay a firm like yours, like previous firm or your, the firm that you have, you, do you currently have RK research or are you, are you still running that firm or no? No, no. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be a very good spy if I wrote a book outing <laughs> myself as a spy and I continued <laughs> to spy. But you know, one of the things that was the most shocking about, about the publication of this book is how many companies reached out to me and asked me to spy for them. It was amazing. <laughs> I was like, guys, come on, you know? Yeah, I can't. I like. I'm not. It's it's like uh, it's like Borat. Like after you've already had the movie come out. So yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's like we know who you are, Borat, but we got to wait 20 years and we'll do the sequel. So um, so so yeah, like 
let's say someone was hiring your firm and obviously I know this is over multiple decades, but like what did, what did firms pay for this type of job? Yeah. So we started out, as I mentioned earlier, we got $8 an hour, which of course now I, I think about, and it's hilarious because the woman whose firm, you know, the woman who hired us, we were working for then, she was making a ton of money, but it took us a long time to realize how much she was making because we were actors, you know, and I was working as an actor. I was, you know, doing, uh, going up to Paul Newman's house and, and, and peeing next to Al Pacino and dancing with OJ Simpson and working with George Clooney. And, you know, I did 50 lead roles in major TV shows. So I was a working actor and we were just doing this job temporarily, just doing, doing this job temporarily. And so, you know, we went from $8 an hour to nine to 12 to fit, but we weren't getting a lot of money. And then there was a certain point where my acting career kind of waned. And that's the moment where I did the deep dive into corporate espionage to the point where eventually I was making $2 million a year. Wow. So, so I guess, yeah, that's what, that, that was the, uh, the, what well, I guess what I meant by the question was what what does a firm pay the like your firm like for a job like what did they yeah. were they paying like by the job by the hour did you was it how did how did that work if I let's say Sony I'm gonna make up that Sony hired you guys to go spy on Toshiba like yeah. what like what was a typical job that they would pay the firm you know every job was was bespoke every job was custom so the company would call me and they'd say this is what we want to know and it was usually not just one firm that they wanted you to penetrate there would usually be 3 4 5 6 firms that they wanted you to penetrate because they wanted to get a lot of data and then they would use that data on what all their competitors were doing to make their own internal decisions so you know you know a project could be you know we, sometimes we would charge by the hour and sometimes it would just be on a project by project basis. You know, I know at one point somebody wanted me, you know, we got so popular that at one point a corporation offered to hire me and I said, look, I don't, I don't have any bandwidth. You know, I, I, I just don't have the time. And they said, well, suppose we paid you triple your rate and we federal expressed you the check for the entire project in advance. And the very next morning it was a check at my door. I think it was for $80,000. Wow. Um, because that's how much they wanted the information. So, so projects range from like $25,000 project to maybe like $150,000 a project. Um, so yeah, there was a lot, there was a lot of money. And, and for your listeners out there that are looking to pivot to a new career, I'm here to tell you there is a huge demand for corporate spies. <laughs> really? So, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, obviously it sounds like it pays, but one, one of the questions I, I have is what, um, like, is it legal? Because it sounds like, mm. it kind of sounds illegal to me. I mean, am I thinking of this the wrong way? I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you cut out there when you <clears> said, <throat> what was that? Oh, I asked, is, is it, 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 oh, <laughs> I told you before, I take everything literally. So, so, so like, I guess you got to prove it, right? Is that, is that at the end of the day, like, how, yeah. is, what's yeah. the legality of something like this? Yeah. Look, you know, when we first did this job, uh, we went and we met with an attorney because, you know, again, we were just actors and we were nervous about it. And the act and the attorney said, it's in the gray, the very dark gray. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a midnight gray. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, look, I, I think it's borderline. And at one point uh, we definitely got on the radar of the authorities. And, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil too much, you know, um, but um, it was it was pretty scary. It was pretty scary. So um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, that this was a side hustle and, and that you were, you were doing a lot of acting. Um, tell us about, the, about that, because obviously it sounds like your passion was acting. And, and, and I know you mentioned that there was a moment that where the, your, your 
acting career waned and you dove deeper into this. But before we go into, you know, obviously the corporate spy thing worked out. Tell us about the acting thing. I mean, that's pretty, it's a, it's really unique to be able to be a working actor. It's super hard to do it. Right. Um, most like the failure rates, almost like a hundred percent, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not a hundred percent, but it's probably 99 point something. What like, but you, you made it, you know, to a point, uh, and then, and then you took this pivot into the corporate espionage stuff full time. Um, tell us about your acting career. Cause I think that, that a lot of people like don't know what it's like to do that. I'd love to hear more about that. Well, you know, thank you. That, 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 that was really well said, um, about the difficulty. Cause you know, I think sometimes people just go, well, you know, you didn't make it cause you're not, uh, you know, uh, George Clooney or you're not Kevin Bacon, right. You didn't make it. Right. I have a pension from the screen actors guild. You know, I, I like to describe myself like you, you watch a major league baseball game. I'm like, I was like the number 24, or the number 25 guy on the team. Like I made, I made the majors. But, you know, I was the guy that was you were bringing in the pinch run in the seventh inning or, you know, or pinch hit every once in a while, you know. Uh, But still, you know, I was in Major League Ball um, and did a lot of great stuff, a lot of great theater. I mean, had some crazy experiences. One of the the most hilarious ones was my manager called me at one point and said, hey, I got this um, uh, exercise video that they're looking for some guys to do, you know, and, uh, you know, do you want to do it? And I was like, you know my manager's name was Bobby. I'm like, Bobby, no, no, no. I, I'm not like a dance guy. I can't, no, 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 no. It's not dancing. It's not saying exercise video for guys. I'm like, no, man, that, that doesn't sound right. He goes, it's OJ Simpson. I said, what? I said, OJ Simpson. I said, I love OJ. So I go and do the, you know, I go to the set to do this job and I show up and there is a dance floor and I'm introduced to this person who's the choreographer. And right away I start to sweat because I'm the worst dancer ever. And they have us do a sequence of moves and I'm so bad that the choreographer comes over and he looks at me and he's like, how did you get hired? And, and he's literally about to fire me. And OJ goes, no, 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 no. Rob's dancing is so bad. It's making me look good. Rob's got to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Cause OJ wasn't much better. And so because I was making OJ look good, which, you know, in Hollywood is rule number one, make the star look good. Um, they kept me around and OJ and I had this incredible bonding out of this funny thing. And he really took a shine to me. Uh, of course, I had no idea that a week later uh, he was going to be uh, driving down the 405 freeway oh. in the Bronco on the run from the authorities. And that this exercise video was going to be introduced into evidence in his trial. Wow. And that 20 some years later, when FX did a series they were going to recreate the exercise video for the series, which means some actor got paid to play me in the exercise video. <laughs> so this is like, what, the 1994 then, right? Yeah, exactly. 1994. Oh my God. Yeah. I was going to ask, I was like, I'm like, I'm like, man, like I look, I, I'm, I grew up uh, uh, born in 78. So I grew up like where Odie Simpson was a badass, And then, yeah. and then he was notorious, right? Like this yeah. is, I was in high school and that happened. So, and I lived in Southern California. So it happened not too far from where I live. Um, so that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Um, is that your, is that your, like, I mean, I know that, that living life as an actor has a lot of cra- like Hollywood and New York acting lifestyle. There, there's a lot of crazy. Is that your craziest story? You got any, any other whoppers out there that uh, I mean, tell us? I mean, look, there's some serious whoppers. I mean, you know, you know, again, you know, uh, you know, without going too much into the book, you know, the book goes back and forth between the corporate espionage stuff and the acting stuff. So, you know, I'm um, being hit on by Kevin Spacey. Um, peeing next to Al Pacino. I'm drinking with Paul Newman. 
I'm working with George Clooney because they bring me on to kill him uh, on this TV series um, because he's got to go to this other show that you probably never heard of called ER. No, um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, so there are a lot, there was like a lot of whole, there's like a Forrest Gump element to some of the acting stuff. Obviously OJ is one of the funny ones too. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, uh, but I will say I went on a date with JLo, which is in there, um, which is wow. a funny story. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, yeah. let's talk about the book. So the book is Ruse, Lying, the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street. Um, you know, obviously you've talked to, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's about your life, but tell us a little bit about the book, the idea for the book and, you know, like more about, you know, what you're doing with it. Yeah. So, you know, I was an English major in college before I became an actor. And now I've circled back to writing after all these years. And I wrote like a little piece and I was reading something at a writer's conference about the spying and people were just freaked out by it. They said, you know, we all know the Russians spy on the Chinese, the Chinese spy on us, but most people have no idea the lengths that corporations will go to and the amount of money that they spend to spy on each other. And that was what made me go, wow, you know, maybe I should write my stories. And so when I started writing the stories, there was no way I could not write those stories with also, without also talking about the acting because the two really went hand in hand. Obviously, that was a survival job to support me as an actor. And then it became a multi-million dollar business. And so, um, yeah, so the book kind of goes back and forth and you get to see the hijinks and the shenanigans of the spying, um, along with the hijinks and shenanigans of being a young single actor in New York and Hollywood. Um, and, um, yeah, so I think it's kind of fun. You know, I wrote it during COVID. So, you know, obviously it was a tough time for everybody. I wanted to write a book that's fun and I wanted to write a book that's a page turner. Um, and, and I'm hoping that that I've, I've achieved that. And so with, with the book right now, I got to assume, you know, it's like one of these like whistleblower tell-alls, right? Mm. Like what did, I can't imagine that people around you that are in the corporate espionage game were happy with this. Tell us about what happened there. Ah, that's funny. Great. That's a great question. One of the guys I trained who ended up being, I think the only, the only spy that was as good as me, um, he, you know, was really fantastic at it and he still does it to this day. And when the book, um, you know, when they, you know, basically the book goes live on Amazon and Barnes and Noble before it's available for sale, they call pre-order. And when he saw the cover and he saw that he freaked out and he's texting me like a maniac and going, what the hell? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was just so hilarious to me that this guy thought that my book was going to like end all corporate spying. It's ludicrous. And, you know, like corporations, they, they don't care. They don't have ethics. They don't care. You know, they want the information they want. You know, these are, you know, we think about athletes being competitive. These executives at tech firms, pharmaceutical firms, Wall Street firms, industrial firms, they are as competitive as it gets, right? Those are publicly traded companies. You know, their salary is based oftentimes on the stock price, right? They want to win and they're willing to do anything and everything to win. So my little book is not stopping any corporate spying. And that's what I told with this spy, this spy that his income, his income is secure for as long as he wants to spy. That's so funny. And so, um, what, what did, was it that, was that the only person when, when did the book come out? Cause I, as I'm looking here, it looks like it's out already. Yeah. It but, came out but, in March. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sorry. It says on Amazon, February 22nd, 20, oh, 22. I'm so funny. I'm like, when's February 22nd, 22. Yeah. That was nine <laughs> months ago, Darius. You idiot. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm like, 
when's 20 if that's that's coming up in like two months so um so the book came out earlier this year was that the only pushback you got did you get anybody else that was like like perturbed by by you telling the secrets well i actually had a couple of uh former clients reach out and they were very grateful that i did not mention them by name (laughs) they they said you know what thank you like you you wrote the book and you told all but you didn't you didn't like completely throw us under the bus because and that was a conscious decision. We changed the names of the companies uh, in the book because while everything in, in Ruse is true, uh, I like to say I've written an honest book about lying. Um, you know, these companies have armies of attorneys on staff, right? They sure. could make my life miserable. Um, and I just didn't want to get bogged down with being, you know, sued to death um, by attorneys saying, oh, well, we didn't really hire you for that. Or we didn't know we were hiring you for that. I didn't, you know, so we just changed the names. That's funny. Um, and so, um, you know, with, with a book like this, you know, when, you know, when, to your point, it, it kind of opens everyone's uh, up, everyone's eyes to see that this happens. What do you think this does potentially to the future of corporate espionage? Do you think it does anything at all? Or do you, do you think it's just, it's just really more of like, Hey, FYI, this is happening. I, I think corporate espionage is even more prevalent today. Um, and here's a story that should really scare a lot of people out there. Corporations are so cutthroat and, um, and especially again, smaller companies that some of these, and I think it's only a matter of time before we, we hear about this in terms of, um, it being public knowledge. But one of the things that's happening is these ransomware attacks, which shut down firms, um, cause tremendous financial damage. And some would argue, and I would agree with this, even greater reputational damage, a lot of these ransomware attacks aren't being done by some little gang. And if they are being done by a little gang, that little gang has been hired by rivals to those companies. So think about that. Mm. So corporations are actually now to gain a competitive advantage rather than just stealing employees or stealing information using spies. They're actually now using ransomware to put these companies into a terrible position and then benefit from that. I recently had a hospital, uh, you know, cause I, I, now I speak to companies about how to, you know, prevent, uh, you know, minim- mitigate, mitigate the risks of corporate spying, corporate espionage, cybercrime, uh, ransomware attacks. And this hospital client, they have five facilities. They were recently shut down for 10 days, could not wow. operate, couldn't book an appointment, couldn't check an x-ray, could, couldn't do anything because their systems were basically locked up. Now, wow. think about that. If you, you know, if you're calling that company and you can't, you know, you're going to go somewhere else, right? You're going to go to another company. You got to sure. get what you need or do what you need, you know, and not just the healthcare, whatever company, you know, you're not going to be like, oh, your systems are down for 10 days. Okay, I'll call back in 10 sure. days, right? So think about that. So I think that's the next frontier is you're going to see that the world of corporate espionage involves um, uh, a lot of cyber attacks that are sponsored by rivals. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So I came from a very regulated industry. I, I ran a large mortgage bank and servicer. I was the owner and CEO of the company and we have stuff to do. It's highly regulated, 50 States, multiple agencies. Mm-hmm. So we used to have to do a ton of penetration testing yeah. against our sites digitally. we always have to train our team. They still got fished. They still got hacked. I have clients and I, I, I sold the business and started becoming a consultant for these large mortgage companies. And I, and I've, I've witnessed personally two different companies. One got taken for 
three million bucks for like a you know basically they tricked him into wiring money to hunt the end up in hong kong and someone else got tricked for 400 grand uh, my company i think got hit for a few hundred grand when, when i was ceo so well, my big question for you is like how does a company protect itself against this stuff mm-hmm. i mean i think that that's obviously one side of it is the doing but if you know how to do it then you probably are like you mentioned earlier there's an opportunity to help people protect against it what, what are, what's some advice you could give to entrepreneurs and ceos to protect themselves from this happening yeah, I mean, and thanks for asking that question. I mean, look, the, the biggest mistake the corporations are making is they're spending so much time and energy and money on the network, the servers, the encryption, the firewall, and almost nothing on the human element. And at the end of the day, the weakest link in cybersecurity is always the human being, right? Um, if I can get a human being on the inside to give me their password or to do whatever it is I want them to do. I don't need to hack the system. I'm hacking your people, right? And so I think corporations need to do a much better job of penetration testing using human beings and training and educating their employees so that they're not falling victim to the social engineering phone call or the social engineering text or the social engineering uh, email, right? Um, I think that's the big thing is that, and, and look, are you ever going to have 100% success? Probably not. But can you greatly increase your success so that it's happening you know, much less frequently and hopefully in a way that's not catastrophic? Um, I, I think that that's achievable. Um, but that requires corporations recognizing that they have to do a better job. Because look, these corporations are so big, many of them, they have offices all over the place. It just takes one person, one junior analyst in a small office in Charlotte that that I can get to that can give me all the information on the Hong Kong team and the London and, and all of a sudden now I know about how the system's set up and how the server, you know, and so now I can share that information with my hacking partner because most of these um, cyber criminals are small gangs of individuals that everybody's got their own expertise. There's a social mm-hmm. engineer, there's a hacker, there's somebody who understands financial components um, and they're working together to get information and and um, and oftentimes you know ransom uh, from corporations, you know that's so helpful. I'd love to get your take on this. So I um, I had heard that they're one of the things that I mean they're getting really sophisticated, right, with the social engineering where they can actually. I mean, this is kind of like um, what's the name, like Snapchat and these different filters that can actually recreate people's faces. I sure. heard. And they can do FaceTime where they like, they'll pretend like they're the CEO of the company and these apps can make like, it can make me look like you or you look like me and, and sound like each other. And they're calling employees on FaceTime, pretending like it's the CEO of the company, just using technology. So, so is it, it it sounds to me like this is only going to get more and more harder to, to fight because technology is going to get stronger and better. AI is only getting stronger. We're only, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg on this is my guess. That's exactly correct. You couldn't have said it better. That's This is just the beginning. And that's what I'm saying. Corporate spying is alive and well. It's a booming industry, you know, and unless corporations really, really take it seriously, especially with their people, um, there are going to be some big problems. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Um, So, you know, it sounds like you've kind of segued the career away from the, the, the corporate spying into writing now. Um, is that your full-time gig, speaking, uh, consulting, all the above? What, what, what are you doing these days besides the, the speaking and the writing on the corp, corporate espionage? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the writing um, and now the promoting of, of Ruse has been, been taking up a lot of my time. And I do, I, I just was up a couple of weeks ago in San Francisco speaking to RSA, which is a big, you know, um, you know, tech tech conference speaking on on social engineering and cybersecurity and all of that. And now I do do consulting, penetration testing, as you talked about. I'm also um, very uh, involved. Ruse is being developed into a television show, which is really exciting. Oh, cool! And um, I've been really pleased. The the you know normally the the book writer you know they kind of hand you the check and push you out the door. You're lucky if they don't trip you as they're pushing you. Um, but they really um, are excited to have me involved because they know while I've written this book, they know there's a lot more that's not in the book um, and a lot of stories. And, you know, if you are fortunate to get a show on air and it runs, you know, they're going to need content. So they really um, I'm very involved with that and, and doing a lot of the writing for that. So it's, it's pretty cool. That's super cool. Yeah. No, the reason I asked is a lot of our, uh, sorry, a lot of our listeners are CEOs and entrepreneurs. So mm. it, it, I didn't know if there was an opportunity for them to either work with you or work with, work with people, you know, to help protect for some of this stuff. Cause, um, it, it really is a real big problem. And, and when, it, and when you get hit, like I've seen oh. it right now happen in three times and companies of way different shapes and sizes. And the minimum hit I saw was a couple hundred thousand dollars. When you, right. when someone wires out 400 grand from your account, I don't care how big you are. That still sucks. So, so yeah, is there, what, what, any, any thoughts there or any, any resources that you would recommend for people? You know, I, I, look, I think there are some really good firms out there and, um, I think all corporations, you know, just need to up their game with the, with the cybersecurity. They just need to up their game. And part of upping their game is doing penetration testing. That is not just penetration testing of the systems and the servers, and the firewall and the network and all the technology, but also penetration testing with social engineering and the human beings that work for you. If you're not doing both, you're completely leaving your, your it's like, you know, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're building a house, but you're leaving the front door wide open or the back door wide open, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, yeah. I'm happy if, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to answer any questions they might have, just chat about it, uh, give them my, you know, proverbial two cents. Um, you know, I've been very lucky. Um, one of the first uh, guys that read Ruse was Frank Abagnale, who wrote Catch Me If You Can. And he gave me a lovely blurb, which is on the cover of my book. And he's been such a huge supporter of me. He's recommended me to his speaking agency. And so now they have me go around and speak. Like I went up, like I said, to San Francisco. Um, and uh, I really enjoy doing it because it is important because, you know, I, you know nobody wants to get ripped off. Nobody wants to get taken advantage no. of, right? It's a it's a terrible feeling, and so if I can help corporations uh, do a better job to protect themselves, I, I, I'm happy to do it. I love that, yeah. And I, and I'll tell you, like like my my business rate about a thousand employees. This was a constant issue. And to your point, like, yeah. So what if they couldn't break into the server through the servers? They'd send one email to some you know like clerk. And, and the whole system would go down, you know, because <laughs> they'd get fished. And we, so we started doing a ton of training around phishing and, and, and even then it would happen. And, and we started doing fake, we started doing our own fake stuff to see who do we catch. 4% yeah. of them would, would fall for it. And this is with us training them. So if you can only imagine, like we were proactively spending time, money, budget, and, and testing it ourselves and, and, and tricking them ourselves. And even then with all that, it happened. So I think, and this is from a coming from a company that was being proactive to your point. So I think that you're making a great point that companies need to 
take this super seriously. It doesn't matter how strong of a firewall you put in front because I'll just go around the back door and open the side, the side door with, with that, that someone opens for me. Right. Yeah. To your point. Um, man, Robert, um, such a fun interview and I'm so pumped for your work and, and all the stuff you're doing. I think this is really, a, really, really interesting stuff. And, um, and especially, you know, like the future of it with the book and, and sounds like there's some legs there with the potential TV deal. Um, man, huge congratulations to you, my friend. Oh, I appreciate it. You know, it's, it's really been, you know, like I said, you know, when somebody like Frank Abagnale gives you the stamp of approval, that was the first moment I went, wow, he really liked my book because, you know, you write this stuff and, you know, it's a tell all and you don't know how people are going to respond to it. You know, I didn't know what what people were going to think, you know, Um, but um, yeah, I'm just really grateful and and thanks so much for having me on. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So before we go, two things I wanted to, we always uh, end, end the show with the same question for all of our guests. So I want to ask you the, the, our barrier to, barrier to greatness question. And then, and then I'd love for us to, to get a bunch of details on ways people can get the book, connect with you for any and all things. We have tons of people here that do big events and, and conferences that are listeners. They might want to bring you in to be a speaker or, or just buy the book and maybe even learn from, from you directly. So, um, so the question I'm going to ask you is this, what do you think is the biggest barrier to reaching greatness in one's life? And how have you overcome this in your life? You know, I think the biggest barrier is not uh, taking the journey that you want to take, right? You know, we have pressures, Uh, you know, in my case, you know, I love my father, but you know, my father wanted me to follow in his footsteps. And, you know, I felt a lot of pressure about that. And, you know, and um, you know, we have pressure from our spouse, we have pressure from our children, we have pressure from our boss, you know, to do this or to do that, right? And, you know, especially coming out of COVID, we saw how how precious life is and how short life can be, you know, take the journey you want to take, you know, that's how you overcome barriers. That's how you achieve greatness, because you're now doing what you want to do, whatever, whatever, however it turns out, you're doing what you want to do. You know what I mean? I think that that's greatness right there. You know, it's not so much how much money you make or how, what kind of success you may or may not achieve. Greatness is doing what you want to do, doing what you're interested in doing every day. That's greatness. I love it, man. So, uh, yeah. So how can people connect? How can they buy the book? How can they learn more about you and the work that you're doing? Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. No, I, I just tell people, go to my website. You know, it's just my name, Robert Kerbeck.com, K-E-R-B-E-C-K. Um, you can buy the book there from wherever you like to buy books. Um, and you can also see the trailer for Ruse, which is really cool, which gives a sense of the series. Um, and you can also re- read my essay on OJ Simpson. And there's a lot of other funny stuff on there. You can see pictures of me when I was a Cardassian on Star Trek. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. Super cool. Uh, Robert, man, so pumped to have you on the show. Everyone go out there, buy the book, Ruse, go to his website, robertkerbeck.com. We're going to put that this all in the show notes. So if, you, if you're driving and listening, don't worry. You can go back and rewind and get it later um, or get it from our show notes. And um, and what a pleasure having you on here. So entertaining, so interesting. And uh, yeah, excited for you and all of your future success. Thank you so much, Robert. Okay. Well, thanks for the support. You're very welcome. And listeners, listen, if you love the show, Be a leader, share it with friends, give us a review, rate us, all the above. And with that said, till next time, peace out. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. 
leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.